We're really glad you're here today. We meet every Sunday as a community, and we gather to worship. And worship is singing, and worship is praying, and worship is giving, and worship is opening up God's Word. We have a passion to teach families to know and obey and enjoy Christ. Peter writes to a group of kingdom patriots near the end of his life. Peter calls them exiles or temporary residents or foreigners or sojourners. These are people trying to journey well between their two worlds, between their culture and between eternity. Life is hard for those chosen to represent the king, and it's only going to get harder for them. Peter begins his letter. This letter entitled in our Bibles, First Peter. And he begins by focusing on salvation. A salvation that is so robust that it has three aspects of salvation. Three words that I've asked you to learn. Three words that I think will be important for your vocabulary and your understanding of your whole relationship with God. It's justification. Something that happens to you when your debt for sin is paid. It happens immediately when you come to faith. When you understand that Jesus Christ spread his arms and spilled his blood so that he paid your payment and my payment for sin. Then there's sanctification. Sanctification is freedom from the power of sin. Sin no longer needs to be our master. And as we live our lives, we don't have to serve sin. Because sin and the consequences of sin is always death. And so we have the authority and the power over sin. Not that we'll ever become sinless, but we will sin less and less and enjoy God's presence in our life as we walk with him. And then there's glorification. Glorification is, well, eventually we will be freed from the actual presence of sin. We will have the opportunity to spend all of eternity with God in a perfectly pure environment. Peter loves focusing on God's truths and then sharing how his words help us live. Throughout his letter, he rants on God's grace his salvation, and his position as a son of God. Last week, we focused on loving and craving, loving one another with all of your hearts, and then craving God's word because it fills us, encourages us, strengthens us, it convicts us. It is critical in our relationship with God. This week, Peter focuses on showing others God's goodness. Don't you love movies or books or games where the underdog wins? I mean, absolutely. Some of your favorite movies are those where, well, the folks who end up winning never should have won. They just shouldn't have. The opponents were way too big and way too strong and way too fast. Or they're much smarter But somehow you find yourself rooting all the way through the movie for the underdog. You happens, you know, unless it's your team, 
But it happens when you watch the Super Bowl. It happens when you pick up any kind of athletic competition. It even happens in your high schools. Who are the underdogs? Who are the ones that aren't supposed to win? Those are the ones I want to root for. Well, let's imagine that Peter is a coach. And let's imagine, well, it's raining quite hard. And the boys are out there fighting. But their team is decimated. They already were smaller. Those guys are a lot larger. They're all full of mud. There's grass hanging out from all parts of their uniform. And and Peter the coach gets this motley crew. He might even just kneel down to them, you know. And he's looking right in their eyes. And it's a long shot. It's a very much of a long shot. Hey, guys, I I know you're beat up. I know a few of our guys have been carted away. I know that, well, the truth is, we're probably not supposed to win. But you guys are amazing. You fought for this all year long. You can do this. We have the ability to be able to play as a team and kick these guys right in the backside. We can do this. I think this is what Peter is doing with the church right now. I think he's literally kneeling down and saying, you know what, as I look out over the troops, you guys are pretty beat up. I get it. You've been following God and it hasn't been going well. And and things are only going to get worse. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you the speech of a lifetime. I'm going to share with you all the things that you have because of your relationship with Jesus. That's our text today. I've asked Jared, another high school student, to be able to read for us. So if you would turn your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to start at verse 4. Or open up your flat screens as Jared reads for us out of the New Living Translation. All right, so again, that was 1 Peter chapter 2, 4 through 12. You are coming to Christ, who is a living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into a spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priest. Through the meditation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will ever be disgraced, will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him. But for those who reject him, the stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And... He is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, 
to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Thank you. Let's pray. Father, again, we're going to open your word, and and we need to hear from you today. I pray, Father, that uh, anything I do wouldn't distract from that. I pray that you would teach us. I pray, Lord, that you would convict us. I pray, Lord, that you would use your word powerfully in our lives today. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. You. There are in these nine verses ten you are's. You are qualified, equipped, and ready to make a kingdom impact. In spite of the dirt, in spite of the rain, in spite of the decimation of your team, you can make an impact. And Peter starts off saying this, you are and keep coming to Christ. And this is huge. This actually is pretty amazing. You know Christ is the source of life, Peter says. You know how he will never disappoint. You relentlessly come to Christ every day. Folks, if you've been around these parts very long, you will hear how important a relationship with our Lord is. It is not just some kind of a Sunday experience. It's not just something that you read in order to be encouraged, well, when you're discouraged. But it is our food. It is our life. It gives us perspective. It helps us get up in the morning. It gives us the ability to be able to, well, get the ball when it's raining and pouring and muddy. Peter says this, you know Christ is the cornerstone, and therefore you honor him. Now, I do know we have quite a few tradesmen in our congregation. And some of you, again, may have heard, okay, cornerstone, I get the old cornerstone. I think it's like the first stone that you put in a building. Well, this is a metaphor in the first century that folks completely understood. A cornerstone is a plumb line for any builder. It sets what needs to be horizontally and vertically. If, you're, if you don't pay attention to the cornerstone, your foundation is crooked and your walls are leaning. And if you don't know that's bad, it is really bad. So a builder would put a cornerstone in the corner of the building first. And everything would be built according to the cornerstone. And really what Peter is saying is, hey, we know that you know what is important in life. The most important thing in life is Jesus Christ. I'm so glad you keep going to him over and over and over. But there are some others. There are some others who reject Christ. They chose not to go to him. They chose to live life, well, by themselves, trying to figure out what's best, what's healthy. In fact, these are the people who are going to be judged, Peter says. Now, actually, there's quite a few different judgments in the Scripture, but the judgment I think Peter's talking about right here is called the Great White Throne Judgment. 
We find this in Revelation chapter 20, verses 14 and 15. And John the Apostle writes this near the end of his life. And he said, whoever is not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. So literally, those people who reject the cornerstone will be judged someday. They will. I actually think Peter was remembering just a little bit near the end of Christ's earthly life. If you recall, in Matthew chapter 21, uh, Matthew starts writing about Jesus' last week on earth. And he comes in triumphantly to Jerusalem. You remember he sits on a colt and on a donkey and, and there's palm leaves that are being waved at him and coats are putting down and he's being adored as the king. Well, he leaves that day and he comes back the next day. And he comes into the temple. And this is the second time it happened. In the very beginning of his ministry it happened. But Jesus clears the temple. There's a whole lot of folks that are at the temple for the wrong reasons. So he makes a whip and he, and he makes sure that those folks leave. And then he starts teaching right there in the temple. And he tells two parables. Now the Pharisees, the religious leaders, are all around. But he tells these two parables. The first he tells about two sons. And he says, hey, well, I'm going to tell you a story. There's two sons. One says he's going to obey his father, and then he doesn't. And the other one says he's not going to obey his dad, and he does. And Jesus just says, who really obeyed? (laughs) Well, the answer is the one that said he didn't obey or didn't want to obey, but he actually did. Okay, okay. Then Jesus tells another story about a tenant farmer. All these religious people around, all these folks right there in the tabernacle or in the temple. And Jesus is speaking and he's saying this, you know, there was an owner of a farm. And uh, this again was not uncommon, but, but what he did is he hired some farmers to come in to take care of his land. And the deal was that this owner would get X amount of the produce, 10%. 20%, 40%, whatever was agreed upon. Well, it came time to, for the owner to be able to get his income. So we sent some servants, and the, and the story goes something like this. Well, the servants came, they killed one of them, they beat the tar out of one of them, and sent one back and said, no, we're not going to give you your money. Well, they did that a few times. Finally, the owner said this, you know what? I understand these guys uh, are not treating my servants well, but I'm going to send my son. And and when I send my son, they're going to treat him differently. Well, they didn't. The son came, and the story was that these farmers, these evil farmers, just beat him up and killed him. And Jesus looked around at the Pharisees, the religious leaders at that time, and asked him a question. What do you think the owner should do? What do you think should happen? And all the Pharisees said, oh, well, that's easy for us to answer. Everyone knows. The owner would take those evil farmers and they 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 would kill them. It would be a horrible death. And then Jesus uses this exact same illustration. He says, you know what, guys? That's exactly what you're doing 
to me. You are rejecting the cornerstone. I am the son in the story, and you guys are the evil farmers. And I want you to know that someday you're going to be judged. Wow. It seemed kind of harsh. But Peter has all of this going through his mind as he's writing this letter. And he's saying, I'm so proud of you guys because you are not rejecting the cornerstone. This is exciting. You're receiving this. You're going to the cornerstone. You're getting life from the cornerstone. But there are some people that really aren't. And those will be judged. He then says this, you are living stones that God is using to build this spiritual temple. Now again, back in the first century, um, that whole place was chock full of temples to all different kinds of gods, especially living in Roman land, you know. Temples were places where gods lived. What Peter was telling these believers is that God lives in you. In Matthew 18, verse 20, Jesus said this, Where two or three gather together as my followers, I will be among them, or I will live with them. You remember in Matthew chapter 28, just before Jesus left this planet, he gave this great commission. And he says, As you live your life, I want you to go and make disciples. And I want you to baptize these disciples. And I want you to teach these disciples to be able to obey everything that I've commanded you. And then Jesus said this, And I want you to remember, almost more than anything, I will be with you. I will be living in you. I will be part of this whole process. Basically, we are an ongoing construction project, continuously being built into a living and a growing church. The temples change as people are added. And you know what's so unique, and if you even put this into context, remember way back five weeks ago when we gave a little bit of an introduction, we talked that probably the majority of the people that Peter was writing to were Gentile Believers, those that were not even part of a Jewish faith. And what was kind of exciting here is that Peter really grew in this area because Peter was a Jew. And he just thought he was kind of a chosen person and, and he was part of a chosen race. And, and the Gentiles, well, they, you know, they, they weren't really in on this whole thing. Well, the Gentiles were, and Peter learned and, and had special revelation, and, and people who were not part of the Jewish faith were coming to Christ in droves. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 19, he says, So now you Gentiles are no longer strangers or foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together, we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. And the cornerstone is Jesus Christ himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, 
You Gentiles are being made part of this dwelling where God lives by His Spirit. He also says, pumping their tires, you are a group of holy and royal priests who please God with your sacrifices. Now again, if, if we're honest, today probably priests don't have that great of a reputation. Maybe because in whether whatever church background or whatever scenarios you see, they, they are dressed differently than everybody else. They look differently than everybody else. But back in Peter's time, when he was talking about priests, they actually revered them. They knew well what a priest does. And they understood completely that not really everybody could be a priest. But Peter was changing the rules here. If you recall, back in the Old Testament, there was a high priest. And the high priest could only enter into God's presence once a year. It was called the Day of Atonement. What was so cool is that Peter is saying, yeah, you are holy priests. You are a new breed of priests. You are priests who are going to be able to go into God's presence not once a year, but every single day. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, uh, the author of Hebrews writes this, So let us come boldly into the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. A little bit later in chapter 10, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. What was so exciting is that now, well, every believer, everyone who has come to faith has direct access to God. They don't have to wait for a special day, and they don't have to move aside a special curtain. What they can do is enjoy God's presence every single day. And he's kind of giving this pep talk, and he's saying, hey, I know the enemy looks kind of big and ferocious, but I also want you to know that you have access to the king, and he is going to give you perspective, and he's going to give you power like you've never experienced before. You see, priests also represent God to others. We're going to talk about this in the application part because one of the things, not only did priests back then be able to help people understand God, but one of the benefits we have right here is that everywhere we go, whatever we do, we have an opportunity to be able to help people not only see God, but see God's goodness. He said, you're royal priests, and you serve a royal, and you serve a king. He says, you're priests that offer sacrifices. He says, you're priests who are chosen by God. You see, what we may not understand is no matter how hard you wanted to be a priest when you were a little Jewish boy growing up, Unless you were part of a specific family, unless you were chosen specifically by God, you did not have that privilege. 
If you want, uh, in your devotions this week, you can go back to Numbers chapter 16. There was a leader called Korah. And Korah uh, thought that he probably should be a priest. Now, he was part of the Levites, so it was part of the group that served the temple. It was part of the group that, that, well, encouraged people to follow God, but he wasn't a priest. And there were some disastrous things that happened to Korah and his followers because he thought he was smarter than God. So I'm sure, again, the people understood this, remembered stories like this. And when Peter said, you've been chosen, and you've been chosen to be a priest, and you have access to God, this is blowing away every one of these people as they think of this. Peter loved using this chosen term, and we've already gone over some of that in our letter. But back in uh, Exodus chapter 19, he recalls very clearly one of the speeches that Moses gave. And it was right after they had left Egypt, and this is what Moses said. You have seen what I did to the Egyptians. You know how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me and keep my command, you will be my own special treasure from among all the peoples on the earth. For all the earth belongs to me, God says, and you will be my kingdom of priests, my holy nation. This is the message you must give the people of Israel. Then in Moses' last sermon, In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, he says, For you are a holy people who belong to the Lord your God. Of all the people on earth, the Lord your God has chosen you to be his special treasure. Now, this wasn't always the case. But Peter is saying this, By God's grace, you have a new identity. You are redeemed. I have bought you with a price. You are a people that I've called out of darkness into light. Now you look at all these things, and that's kind of exciting, but open your Bibles and look specifically at verse 9. He goes through all these different things, and then he says, as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. So because you are a priest, you're holy, you're God's very own possession, because you're a chosen people, because of all these different things, I want you to know you have the privilege to mercifully show others God's goodness. In light of who you are in Christ, in light of all that you've been given, You get to show others God. Well, probably for the most part, showing others God's goodness is not our reputation. If we're honest and we were to ask our neighbors, or maybe someone two blocks away, or someone at work that doesn't really know you very well, or someone that you work with, or even someone on the street, and you would just ask them, hey, I have a question for you. Can you describe to me what an evangelical Christian is? 
Whoa. Now, maybe you don't fall in that camp, but if you don't know, if you are part of this church, you're probably part of an evangelical Christian fellowship. It doesn't mean we all behave perfectly, nor does your pastor. It doesn't mean we always respond to each other with grace. But we would all say pretty much that Jesus Christ died in order to pay our debt, in order to give us victory over sin, in order for us to be able to spend eternity with him. And the only reason that he leaves us here on this planet is for us to be salt and light, to be able to point others to who he is, to be able to disciple others and train others and encourage them to listen to the Almighty God. Well, how come the evangelical reputation is so ugly? Why is it that some of us have the reputation of being crabby rather than loving? Or harsh or judgmental rather than embracing and encouraging? No, I'm not saying that you just toss all of your morals aside. I'm not. But somehow Jesus really loved people and not the sin. His reputation was one of hanging out with the slugs of society. But for us, sometimes we come across really shiny and we come across really perfect and we come across really condemning. In fact, so many times when someone is hurting, the last person now that they want, that people want, is a local pastor from an evangelical church. And that's me. There were a time years ago when you'd get all kinds of different phone calls in all different ways. But many people don't want to hang out with evangelicals. But Peter says this. In a culture that was so much more harsh than ours, in a culture where people were literally losing their lives because they were following God, He said this, you have this great position. You have all this because of your faith in Jesus. This has all been grace to you, so you can do one thing. So you can show others God's goodness. You're here on the planet, no matter where you work or what you do, in order when you walk in the room, somehow people have the opportunity to see who God is. Oh, Rick, I didn't sign up for this. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, whoa, I, I can't do that. You're right, and neither can I. But as we understand who God is, and as we trust our God, as he chips away the things that really don't reflect him well, The lack of forgiveness, the lack of love, the lack of care, the lack of compassion. Then all of a sudden we begin to mirror God differently. 
But Peter says this. Look at verse 11. Dear friends, I warn you, uh, he can't get away from this temporary resident foreign thing, you know. But he goes, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even when they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give glory to God when he judges the world. Let me just say it this way. Personally, Peter is saying this. Keep away from worldly desires. It's these desires, it's these obeying these bents that will tarnish you. You won't reflect God well if you live exactly the way your culture lives. If you spend money exactly the same way they spend money. If you spend time exactly the same way they spend time. You're going to reflect the culture. But he says you're different. So don't spend time being influenced by your culture. Spend time with me, Jesus says, and spend time reflecting who I am. He says, you're just temporary residents. You remember that. You're just exiles. This really isn't your home. Spend your time with me. But here's the big part. Publicly, by living well among your neighbors... What's really cool about this is really what Peter is saying. By seeing your honorable behavior, they will give God glory at judgment day. In other words, really, every one of us are billboards. Every one of us are posters of who God is. Now, at the end of the day, some of us may not have been a very good poster or billboard. I get it. And we're on that journey But realistically, that's what Peter is saying. He's saying people are going to watch and people are going to listen. And then people are literally going to come to faith because they're going to see something. You're going to treat people differently. You're going to respond differently. You're going to care differently for people. And people are going to line up and want that. Not because you're going to cram something down their throat but because you honestly love them. You know, one of my favorite stories is in Acts chapter 16, and so many of you know this story. I I know it. But in Acts chapter 16, Paul's on his second missionary journey, and he's actually doing God's work. He's proclaiming the good news of the gospel, and there is a girl that's demon-possessed. And actually, the girl is driving him crazy a little bit, the apostle Paul, and so he eventually relieves her or casts out the demon. But, but that's a good thing. This girl is not controlled by the enemy anymore. That, that this girl can finally experience life the way God intended. Well, as you know in the story, the people around got pretty upset. They beat up Paul and Silas. They threw him in prison, put him actually in an inner dungeon. And the Bible says this, at midnight... After they've been beat up, they are singing praises to God. Now, i got to tell you this. I don't know how badly they were beat. I don't know what kind of situation they're in. But I'm pretty sure Rick would be complaining. All right? 
He would be hoping for Advil, codeine, and anything else that would just relieve his pain. All these guys did were praising God and singing. And if you look in Acts chapter 16, verse 25, what the scripture says this, is that the prisoners were listening. Oh, listening? Hey, you guys, do you believe it? Paul and Silas, they look like a piece of meat right now. They're over there praising their God. There isn't anyone on the planet that wouldn't be cursing, upset, ticked. You put the word in there. And what's Paul doing? Thank you, Lord, for the privilege of suffering for you. Well, God, I, hey, I'm not even complaining. I've been doing what you want me to do. I'm, you know, I mean, people are experiencing freedom, God, and I'm in jail. It wasn't even right that Paul was there. It wasn't. Not at all. But the scriptures say this. The prisoners were listening. They couldn't believe it. They couldn't get enough of this. And then eventually when God did this miracle, people came to faith. People said, in fact, one of the first things out of the jailer's mouth, what do I need to do to be saved? Or how about this? Oh, Paul and Silas, I have no clue. I saw how you were beat. I see your conditions. You've been singing here. You could be walking out of this prison. I want what you have. That, to me, is able to give people a little bit of taste of who God is. He was treated unjustly, but he didn't blame anyone. He was extremely, or or experiencing extreme pain, and he still was trusting God. There's not a person in your neighborhood, in your cubicles, wherever you work or live or school, that wants to be able to, that doesn't want to be able to live above circumstances. You know, when all of us have a really good paycheck and all of our kids are really healthy and smart and going to the right schools and our spouse is just floating everywhere and we get new cars and new boats and have summer cottages and you just name it, whoa, life is so good, no problems, no sicknesses, no, I don't know where that is, but, but, It could be out there somewhere. And if it is, it's pretty easy to be able to say, thank you, God. You've blessed me. But God says this. In the midst of hard times, in the midst of scenarios and situations and areas, when you are really hurting and you give me praise because you trust me, you know that I've got it. I've got your back. You may not even understand all the stripes. You may not understand all the pain. You may not, and we don't. It it absolutely blows our minds most of the time. And God says this, you have the opportunity to be able to reflect 
and show God's goodness to other people by the way that you live. You know, the truth is, is that we have been given in order to give others a great snapshot of God. Everyone who has come to faith, everyone who is a child of God, you've been graced in an unbelievable way. You're the one standing there in the rain, all muddy, all depleted, all discouraged. And you look out there, and those guys are just giants. And God says this, you can win. You can win, not because your life is together, but you can win because I'm your dad. And I'm going to walk with you, and I'm going to encourage you. I am going to purposely declare God's excellencies. I am going to model and point people to the king. Now in just a moment, we're going to have our worship team come back up. And for some of you who are newer, we're, we're, we're going to encourage you while they play some soft music to be able to hear from God. And just ask the question, God, what are you wanting me to take away from this? Well, before we get there, I'd love for you to focus really on what does it mean to reflect God's goodness to your world around you? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that Peter had the guts in spite of all the circumstances that these people were going through to be able to share all the blessings that we have because of a relationship. But God, that doesn't take away that life is hard and that doesn't take away that sometimes we think very selfishly. We pray at this moment, God, that we would be able to bask in the position that you've given us. And that we would be an army of people who would go to every place in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, that we might be able to reflect God's goodness, that we would be billboards of your grace, that we would treat others differently because we can trust you to make things right. Somehow, God, take away the rights which we have just been drilled into us and be able to trust you to love others with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.